This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Goodbye baseball, a walk-off. Winner from Mitch Hattiger. Swing, line, drive. This game is over. Goodbye baseball. Mitch Hattiger ties it up here in the bottom of the ninth inning. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Hey, welcome back to Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Thanks for being here. I hope you had a good fourth. I hope you're still enjoying today, the fifth, hopefully with a day off. But if you're working... I'm sorry. Hopefully this helps at least a little. It would be a good podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. We're going to talk about the Cardinals, the three-game series against St. Louis, and we'll talk to one of their fine broadcasters coming up in a few minutes. John Rooney joined us over the last three games, and we'll have that conversation. The Cardinals manager will be here, too. He's going to talk about Marco Gonzalez, who... He managed in the minor leagues, so that comes up in a few minutes as well. And Andy McKay, a long conversation between Shannon Dreher and Andy McKay, and that's one you do not want to miss as well. So that comes up in a few minutes. First, though, the series against St. Louis, a highly competitive back-and-forth series. The Mariners got the best of things in Game 1 of the series. Pitch by Flaherty, swing and a drive, deep into the gap, and right center field, going and going, and goodbye baseball. Omar Nevarez with home run number 12 on the season. It comes with Vogel back aboard, and it's now the Mariners 4 and the Cardinals 1 here in the bottom of the 5th. They would hold on for a 5-4 win in Game 1 of the series. Game 2 belonged to Mike Leake. From Tom Murphy, the windup and the one-two pitch, swing and a miss, and a changeup for strike three. So back-to-back strikeouts for Leak here in the top of the eighth inning. Strikeout number seven for Mike, and he has been absolutely sensational tonight. Yeah, he was great, but the Cardinals pound the Mariners' bullpen. They come back to get a 5-2 win to split the first two games, and then on the fourth day baseball yesterday, Mariners got some long ball early. Pitch on the way, swing and a well-hit ball. Deep to right center field. Going, going, goodbye baseball. Way back into the lower deck in right. J.P. Crawford with a Yankee doodle dandy here on the 4th of July. His fourth home run of the season. And it gives the Mariners a 1-0 lead here in the bottom of the first inning. What a drive by Mr. Crawford. Yeah, that was crushed. Beckham hit one as well, but the Cardinals... They muscled up, hit a couple of long balls off Malone, who in that role, the headliner, has been sensational. But five and a third, five earned runs yesterday, and the Cardinals end up holding on for a 5-4 win. They get this series win over the Mariners, taking two of three. Here is Scott Service after the game. Guy had leads throughout the game, just could not hold it. Yeah, it was uh, certainly a back and forth, the whole series, really, uh, with the Cardinals, I think, two 
all three games very competitive games. It, it kind of came down to a, a big hit here or there, making a big pitch or a big play, and uh, it's frustrating when it doesn't go your way. Um, you know, certainly we put pressure out there um, in the eighth inning. You're hoping to get a big knock and, and take the lead late, and uh, you know, get out of here with the series win. But obviously, it didn't happen. But the uh, you know, our guys continue to compete their tail off, and and. Um, Feel good about that. We just got to get over the hump here. Is recently getting that big hit. You know, on the road trip early, we got a couple of those games in Milwaukee. You know, you got made the big pitch or got the big hit. You know, it just hasn't happened in the last couple of series. First time we've seen Malone get hit a little bit. It seemed like what was going on. Tommy made a few mistakes today. Ball was over the plate a little bit more. Um, you know, he's usually on the edges, and uh, they were on his changeup. You know, they they were they were seeing it. Maybe didn't have quite as much, you know, depth to it. Uh, you know, to to get it off. Yeah, I thought he threw the ball fine. Uh, but they were on him a little bit more than we've seen teams beyond Tommy. Uh, you know, I thought he made some decent adjustments there through the middle innings. Um, you know, did his job for the most part, certainly left with traffic. Again, the, you know, the walk kind of sets up the two-run single, and that's what we've tried to – I think we've been better at it lately, but still it rears its head at the wrong time, and it ends up costing you. In the eighth inning after Malik's – hits Gannon, Miller comes in. How does that kind of change the end of the way Miller was pitching? Well, Miller's one of the toughest lefties in the league, and, and uh, you know he doesn't throw quite as hard as he used to, but still, it's a really good slider. Our guys know that. I thought you know, JP works into a good count. JP had a really good game today at the home run. Uh, another productive at bat. You know, he gets a decent ball to hit. You know, pops it up there, and you still have traffic. Uh, you know, Weeder's made a nice play on the, the slider in the dirt to to stop the tying run from scoring. And again, it's one play here or there. And you know, we had four and five up there, just didn't get the ball in play and, and make it happen. Saw Nola make a play too and, and smother a ball. How was he behind the plate? It was our first. Yeah, I thought Austin did a really nice job. Uh, first game ever catching in the big leagues. He certainly handled Karasidi and Malone before. But uh, he's a really good receiver of the baseball. Did a decent job behind the plate, calling the game and stuff. And, um, and he did fine. Swung the bat well at the end. That's all you can ask for. Karasidi seems to keep doing what you're looking for. Yeah, he's really throwing the ball well. His confidence is growing. Uh, thought he did a nice job today. Really, really aggressive uh, getting after him today. And it's good to see. Yeah, uh, it's a know. nice pop on the ball. Yeah, you know, he can, he can get a good arm. Uh, El Tavila, another really, really nice outing for him. So uh, continue to build those guys confidence-wise, and, you know, we're going to need them. There's no doubt about that. Scott, you, you mentioned how competitive you've been in one pitch away or one hit. Just the finishing aspect of that, is some, that's something you just kind of have to go through and learn a little bit? Or? You do. It's... it's um, you know how to finish off ball games and, and execute late in the game, whether it's an at bat, playing the field, uh, pitch, finishing off a count, you know, striking a guy out, or or get some weak contact late. Uh, we struggle to do that. Some of it is inexperience. You know, you got to go through it. Andrew Miller stood out there before plenty of times. Uh, same thing with Martinez. They have a little bit more experience at the back end, but we knew coming into the season that was going to be something that uh, we were going to grow from and, and learn from. Our guys are. Uh, and we've seen stretches uh, where it shows up, and we are productive in those spots. But that's a separator uh, at this league. In this league, the talent is so equal uh, that you know who can execute late in the game. You know, it's where, where it shows up. So that's got service after the game, and the attention now turns to Oakland. The final three games before the All Star break: Kikuchi tonight, seven ten first pitch. Brett Anderson, longtime Mariners nemesis, will go for Oakland. 7-10 on Saturday, Marco against Chris Bassett. And then the final game before the break, 1-10 on Sunday, opener and LeBlanc against Mengden. And then it's the All-Star break. Also on Sunday, the Futures game, that will start at 4, so around the time the Mariners finish up on Sunday. 
lead you right into the Futures game. Home Run Derby, 5 on Monday, and then the All-Star game, 4.30 on Tuesday. Daniel Vogel back, of course, in that game, in the All-Star game. So that gets you ready. Next time we talk, it will be the All-Star break. So we'll take a few days off from the podcast. I'll probably roll one out next week at at some point, but I'm not sure what the schedule will look like. But, uh, yeah, I think – I think that's will be that that will be how it goes next week. We'll see. Until then, we'll leave you with Andy McKay and Shannon Dreyer. All sorts of things happened in the minor leagues yesterday that just watching Twitter during the game, it was like, wow, wow, positive, positive, yeah. positive. It was a good day yesterday. It was a good day, and <laughs> you learn pretty quickly with with so many teams and so many players that that you have the potential for really good days, and you have some potential for some for some rough nights as well. But uh, fortunately, last night was a good one for us. We start with Justice Sheffield in Double A. He had a no hitter going into the eighth inning. And what happens when you send a player down like that, and the decision to be made? And what does he get out of that? Yeah, you know, every situation's uh, a little bit unique. And with Justice specifically, we were just trying to uh, kind of break the cycle of what was happening in Triple A. And uh, you know, we were open to sending him anywhere, just something different. And um, and obviously it's worked, and I and I really can't say why, but uh, you know he's throwing the ball as well as he's ever thrown it for the last three nights, his last three starts, and last night was really good. Uh, Jerry Depoto was in to watch, and um, obviously things are going really well for him right now. So uh, not really sure how it's happening, but the the good news is that uh, he's throwing the ball. Uh, exactly how we'd hope he'd throw it. And with pitchers, it's a little different than hitters. That when you see a pitcher throw a ball, uh, the way you can measure things now, you can watch somebody throw in low A or high A or double A or triple A, and you can quantify it pretty quickly and say, yeah, that's that's major league type stuff right there. So uh, we're all very excited for it. The process with him, it's a tough one. You see, he makes a good showing in spring training, but you know that there's a little bit more that needs to happen. He takes a step backwards. Your job to get him back to where he was. Correct. And, you know, again, there's always there's so many factors involved, and it's impossible to pull them all apart and identify like exactly what is causing what. But one of the things that we've been really concerned with, I think everybody in baseball is concerned with, is, is trying to develop pitchers in the PCL right now. Um, the ballparks that you are that you're dealing with um, and now using the baseballs uh, from the major league level, uh, it's, it's produced a very challenging uh, environment. And you know, like case in point, uh, two nights ago in Albuquerque, Andrew Moore is throwing against Kyle Freeland. You know, Freeland almost won a Cy Young Award last year, and I believe the score is like 15-13. Uh, so it, it is a tough environment to develop pitching in right now. That's a real drastic change of the playing field, right, or the development field. It really is, and uh, it, it's league-specific towards the PCL, one, just because of the ballparks. You can take road trips of, you know, Vegas, Reno, Albuquerque uh, that are just incredibly tough to, to, to compete in. And uh, so it's been hard. But but even through all of that, Justice has some really good starts in AAA. And um, so, again, it was just kind of a reset, and we, in our conversations, you know, it actually came up of of when we came in here and we did it with Paxton. Uh, we did it with Zanino. Where wherever somebody is, when you have an opportunity or a need just to bounce them back one level, just to do nothing other than give them a reset, uh, it's been it's been successful. It's never easy. Those phone calls are hard. Those meetings are difficult. Uh, but in general, they've been effective for us. Yeah. 
And the player sees the success, has a chance to take a deep breath and, and kind of just regroup. Yeah, and, and I mean, Dan Altavia this year, um, you know, I think it, last night we all kind of saw it of, yeah. okay, we, we know what's inside of Dan, and we just had to get him down to that double-A level where he could get a breath and, and bring that out of him. Because what you saw last night, we saw multiple times in, in uh, Arkansas this year, so... Uh, we're happy for him and excited. Another player that's moved uh, lately is Jake Fraley, and he just seems to continue to hit everywhere that he goes. What do you want to get from a player when you move a hitter when you move them from Double A AA to Triple A? The biggest thing is you, you want to see the the, the performance uh, continue as best as he can, and, and it's a jump every time you move a level. It is different, and not only I think people understand that the the competition is a little bit better, but. You know, you're physically moving your family, and Jake's somebody who does have a young family, and so again, sometimes we give these, these we, we put these kids on a pedestal that we think they're invincible. But as excited as he was to make the move, he still had to go home and, and you know tell his wife, "Hey, we got to get the kids, we got to pack the car, we got to get to Tacoma." Uh, that's hard, and so there's an adjustment period. New coaching staff, you know, all of a sudden one day you have a new a new hitting coach, a new manager. And although I think we do a good job of, of, of making these things somewhat seamless, it's still different, different personalities and whatnot. So you want to see him get us, kind of get acclimated to the new environment, which he's done very quickly. Um, Jake is a kid that he, he's so competitive and he prepares so well. Um, he, he does have that X factor a bit about him, and it's shown up everywhere he's been. And if you kind of look at what his career has done since he, uh, I, I would say basically transformed his swing, and he did it. Uh, with Tampa didn't happen here, but his career since he's done that has, has been exceptional. Where are you seeing results? I know that there have been a lot of processes that have been put into place, and probably C the Z was one of the earliest, if not the first. How are you seeing results and monitoring that? You're always looking for for different ways to to evaluate is is what we're doing working? Is it not working? And, and you need that humility to be able to take a deep breath and say, you know, this is a, a well-intentioned idea. It just is not. It's not taking place with our with our guys so um i think one of the things we looked at was you know this year between uh and we just came up with this yesterday but with all of the all-star games that have been played uh in the futures games the mariners are second in all of baseball in sending players to those all-star games in the futures game and that's certainly not a statistic that's going to um you know be the end of the story and say well it's all working but it is an indicator that our players are out playing well and because again, you have you have talent that has to be turned into skill, and you have prospects that have to be turned into performers, and and that takes time. It doesn't happen all at once. The the gas camp um, we've seen some results from, and you know we've had players that don't throw any harder than they did before then, but we have players that have taken some fairly substantial leaps uh, out of that process, and we actually think we learned a lot that we can actually improve it uh, this year uh, going forward. So, uh, you know, that's taken off. We've done some things with some breaking balls, with some uh, secondary pitches kind of organizationally that we're seeing, not only with our own eyes, but we're seeing it through track man grade. We're see- also seeing it through the amount of swing and miss that we're creating uh, with our opponents. I think maybe the most, the most sustainable, uh, measurable thing that's happened in our system is the work that Tony Arnerich and Dan Wilson have done with our catchers and with our receiving. Uh, We are receiving the ball 
probably in the top two or three in organized baseball. Um, Joe Odom has uh, in Double A um, has gotten more strikes called than anybody in the game at any level, uh, and some of those things are great because you can quantify them off a of TrackMan. But you know, Jerry Depoto can go in two nights and go and say this guy's a magician and what he can do with a low pitch and the strides that Cal Raleigh has taken, but just evolution of Omar Nevaez and, and Tom Murphy up in the big leagues as well. So that part has been uh, has been good. I know there was game calling you in the yeah. offseason. What else has there been for the catchers? Uh, mo- the game calling you was a great um, initiative that Dan and Tony created that, you know, they basically created a, a curriculum, uh, which is beautiful. It's been done uh, by our graphics uh, team and, and T-Mobile. Uh, and every week they'd send out the, uh, the curriculum to the players and they would create the video conference and they'd work through it, um, which I thought was fantastic. And that's actually been something we've really learned from uh, is our ability to incorporate a lot of people in Seattle, um, whether it's our, our, our graphic designers, uh, to create really good-looking um, documents that we can then you know, teach off of. So you will see a lot more of the... Uh, the web-based teaching programs uh, this offseason. Interesting to see you here, and it just hit me last night, and it was in talking with Daniel Vogelback, who did spend a significant amount of time in the Mariners' minors, didn't come up, but was there. And first of all, is there an imprint, a Mariners' imprint on him now? I would think so, and and Dan came from, you know, a a great organization, and he he spent a lot of time um, in our system. So I, I... I would say yes, but I will also say that we went and acquired Dan because he did the things that we're trying to imprint <laughs> okay. uh, on our players, and and obviously, you know, he, he's he, he's he's very adept at controlling the strike zone. Right. Uh, he understands the value of a walk. He understands that uh, you know if you if you leave your plan and chase, it generally doesn't work very well. Uh, he's very frustrating to throw to because he doesn't swing the bat a lot, but when he does, he tends to hit it very hard in the air. So. Uh, to be honest with you, I would say Dan has imprinted our organization <laughs> as much as we've imprinted anything on him. You know, he's uh, and he was in a tough spot. You know, he's uh, you know when you have Nelson Cruz taking all the the DH at bats for a few years there, which we all understand that's it's Nelly Cruz, right? right. Um, but for Dan to get where he is right now and to be doing the things he's doing, I think every one of us is just excited beyond belief because. We all lived it every day in the minor leagues. We saw what he can do to a clubhouse. We saw the energy he brings, and we know that he's a winning player. And for him to, to finally get to the stage and perform, is, is uh, it's just fantastic. What I loved last night was he was the guy that stood up and talked after the game. And it was a loss, but there were so many positive things to be seen in that game. And it really hit me in what he said. He said, you know what, we, gave, we just came up against one of the toughest teams in Major League Baseball for the last couple of years. We gave them everything that they could handle. We know where we're at right now. We know where we're going. And I, I love that approach that he took to that last night. And it kind of struck me that there are a lot of young guys that are still developing out there, but now they're developing as a team. What do you see when you look out there? What do you want to see in that aspect? It's a great point in the whole road trip. I mean, between Milwaukee and, and Houston and Again, you are facing Verlander last night, who you can make an argument he's the best pitcher in the world. Yeah. And we did. We took him. We gave him everything we could give him. And but when I come in and you're looking at, you know, you're looking at Perry Hill right now out here early, and and you're seeing, you know, J.P. Crawford continue 
what was started in the minor leagues. And obviously he's a very talented player, um, somebody that we were willing to give up really good players to acquire. But you are seeing, you know, it's not a finished product. And that's one of the things we're really trying to do uh, with the Mariners right now is, is really culturally ingrain that, that uh, development is going to continue at the major league level. And certainly when you have young players like we have, uh, and then you go and you get coaches like Perry Hill, who Perry's going to coach this way, whether he's coaching you know, 10-year-olds at a youth camp this offseason or if he's coaching big leaguers. And it, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And um, not only that, but then you see the work that, you know, Lakers doing in the in the cage with kids and um, really across each discipline are, um, you know, having you know, Prieto out early with Malix in the outfield and now bringing in Mike Cameron. So you're, you're really just trying to ingrain with our players that when you get to the major leagues, it's still you're still going to be coached. And... The, the, the evolution never stops. And it's funny because now you're here in, in Houston where, you know, they, they've probably set the standard for continued development at the major league level because they go out and they acquire a guy like a Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander, and they get better when they're here. Um, and I think that's the model all of us should be trying to follow. Absolutely, and it's good to see it playing out and continuing to develop. We just talked for 10 minutes without talking about Jared Kelnick or Evan White and what they've been doing. Yeah. you got 30 seconds on those two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Evan is, uh, Evan is Evan is Evan. He's had a phenomenal month. Uh, had his hitting streak broken the other night. I think it was 28 games. 29th games, he comes up, he comes up for his last at bat to keep it going, and he hits a 109-mile-an-hour ground ball that ends the streak, and then picks it up right where he left off and gets two more hits the next night and obviously he's playing gold glove defense and uh, Kelnick I was just with for three days uh, in San Jose struggling a bit with his wrist uh, uh, a little tender and it's, it's it's kind of an issue but it's uh, certainly something you can play with and um, but really getting to go in there and watch Cal Raleigh for three days uh, who's really becoming a uh, an impactful player you know we challenged him with that assignment in the Cal League uh, he's a real leader on the field. Uh, he's catching very well. He leads the Cal League in, in runners thrown out. Um, he leads the Cal League in extra base hits, I believe. And then I got to see him hit a home run from both sides of the plate on Wednesday, I believe it was. So uh, another really exciting guy there. You were there for the week of Raleigh. The week of Raleigh, <laughs> correct. Yes. yes. There obviously is too much good stuff, which is a good thing right now. Andy, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Shannon. Always fun. John Rooney joined us cardinals broadcaster we've gone over to the opposing broadcast booth and brought back john rooney john great to see you here. great to see everybody here just sitting here looking at this beautiful ballpark and people ask me all the time what's your favorite park outside of bush stadium in st louis and i really like the uh, ballpark in san francisco whatever they call it now it used to be at&t you get you the get coliseum the no yeah, yeah. well we're going to the coliseum before Sorry. too long we play two games there uh, you know and that was beautifully uh, arranged for, for uh, al davis uh, that's another story but right. just looking at this park though this, this is my favorite park to work in we have plenty of room in the yep. booth we have great sight lines the fans are fun to be around and and just the that game uh, back in 95 that saved baseball here in the great northwest uh, look at what it's done and uh, this is a sensational venue for the sport john you have covered just about everything there is to cover in sports uh, you've been you are one of the top broadcasters in the game of baseball college basketball and football uh, i want to talk to you about the hall of fame edgar martinez going in the hall of fame you've seen many many great players uh during your time broadcasting professional sports uh 
What do you think about Edgar going to Hall of Fame? Well deserved, the greatest DH in the history of the franchise. He goes in here in the next couple of weeks. Long overdue. Thank you. Way overdue. A Bert Blylevin going in was long overdue. Yes. And Harold Baines, there have been so many arguments, oh, he doesn't deserve this or deserve that. Yes, he does. I saw him play outfield one day when we had to put him in there when I was with the White Sox. Had to play him in right field. He had no knees. That's why he was a DH. He's out there making diving catches, still had a spectacular arm, and the man could hit. Tony Oliva deserves to be in the yes. Hall of Fame. There's another guy who... Jim Cott. Uh, oh, the list goes on and on. Why they aren't, uh, that's totally beyond me. But congratulations to Edgar uh, when you talk about Randy Johnson and Ken Griffey Jr. And you have to talk about uh, Edgar. And Edgar Martinez going into the Hall of Fame, yes, long, long overdue. Any moment in particular that you remember Edgar standing out in a game you might have called? Well, uh, Edgar had uh, several big hits in, in playoff games that uh, I had done over the years. And, and uh, just the fact that he put the ball in play. Yeah. You know, in a day and age where we have walks, strikeouts, and home runs, uh, he could get his walks, but he wasn't up there to walk. He was up there to drive in runs. And when you think about the big RBI men over the years, and Mike Shannon talks about Tony Perez being right. a guy when it came to two outs, and even with a man at first base, that guy was thinking RBI and drove in that man from first so many times for the big red machine. Uh, Edgar was that kind of RBI man for the Seattle Mariners and, and that kind of hitter. And I got to see him play in the field a little bit, and that wasn't his forte, but I, didn't, I never saw him embarrass himself when no. he was in the field, just like Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas won two MVPs with the Chicago White Sox, and he was playing at first base. Was he a no. gold glover? No, not even close. But he could hold the position over there and hold down that number three spot in the order. And uh, those are our two Hall of Famers, Frank and Edgar, that I'm happy to say I got a chance to see a lot of them. We are visiting with John Rooney from the St. Louis Cardinals broadcast. And I want to ask you, it's, it, we don't see a lot of, obviously, the National League. And I take a look right now, and St. Louis Cardinals at 41 and 42 are five and a half games, or three and a half games out of first place. The entire division is separated by five and a half games. What is going on in the Central? Well, that's a Central division that's going to beat up on, on people. Right now, it looks like Pittsburgh and Cincinnati want to win the division more than, than Milwaukee, the Cubs, and the Cardinals, the way they've been playing in recent weeks. But I think that division is going to beat up on each other so much that the wild card will have to come from somewhere else, and it won't be in the Central this time around. You go back a couple of years, uh, in fact, I think it was 15 the last time the Cardinals were in, that they won 100 games. The Cubs were right behind them, Milwaukee in that mix. And that, that was a, a real, real heavy division. Right now, I think it's down to the point where uh, the Cubs uh, aren't as well balanced, and everybody's had injuries. Everybody's had to deal yeah. with them. The Mariners have had to deal with them as much as anybody, so um, I guess I'm preaching to the choir on that. But uh, Carpenter's not available to play right now. Goldschmidt just hasn't lived up to expectations, and they're not my expectations. They're Paul Goldschmidt's expectations, believe me. This yeah. is eating away at him, but he has saved about 15 to 20 errors over at first base. Great glove over there. And when he does put the ball in play, he can run the bases. But they're the Cubs. They've got a really good lineup, and they're trying to piece together their pitching and by adding <clears> Kimbrell. <throat> but I saw Kimbrell gave up three runs in his second outing the other night against the Pirates. But everybody gave up runs in that game. It's, it, seems like, <laughs> it seems like when, when you, you get something going, teams can roll up 10, 12, 14 runs at the blink of an eye anymore. Yeah. And that's because we're using batting practice baseballs yeah, in these games. Yeah, they're aren't they? Oh, well, they should say titleless. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Visited with John Rooney. Pro V1, yeah. <laughs> they are. 
John Rennie, longtime broadcaster for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, Chicago White Sox, Minnesota Twins. But you've done everything in this game, World Series, All-Star Games, NFL, uh, NCAA championships. Can, can you pick one of the greatest events that you broadcast in your incredible broadcast It was my career? first Final Four right over there where the football stadium is, and I was working with Kurt Gowdy. Oh. I was doing Houston and Virginia in the Final Four. The last time Virginia was in the Final Four before finally winning it all this year, to the delight of my broadcast partner, Ricky Horton, a Virginia Cavalier pitcher in his college days. But I sat down at the table, and I'm scared to death. And in fact, if, if Dickie Beal had been called for traveling in the Illinois-Kentucky game, I would not be here talking to you right now because I, that was my break. I got to do the Final Four because Cable Ledford, Jim Host had a rule. If you're doing the uh, a local team in the tournament, you can't do the national broadcast. So they contacted me to work a game in Lexington, that uh, regional final. Then I had Houston and Wake Forest in St. Louis the next day. And then I had Houston and Virginia in the final four. So I, I got a big break there. So I'm sitting by Kurt Gowdy, and I looked at Mr. Gowdy, and I said, uh, Kurt, why am I here? <laughs> he goes, I know why you're here. I don't want to do the play-by-play anymore. I just want to host this thing, have some fun. He took great care of me, and oh, he said, let's just nice have man. a good game. And we had a double overtime game before Houston, the beginning of five, slam a jamma uh, for Coach Lewis, uh, won that game. Oh, my wow. I first met Rune, uh, Runes uh, doing Final Four. I was the host courtside for three years with you. Marty Bredeman, Bill Raftery. That was a good time. You guys were you guys were very good to how me. About, back. How about our sessions during breakfast? In with the Brad suite? Sham too. With Brad Sham, Jim Host had the suite for everybody involved with the NCAA <laughs> tournament, where they had some fruit and Danish and coffee and juice. And we went in there about seven, six thirty or seven every morning, and didn't leave till about eleven. Yeah. And so I would have loved to have had a recorder you bet. rolling yeah. on those stories. No question. Yeah. I mean, we, we laughed so hard we couldn't even, uh, you know, move our mouths anymore to go yeah. do the games. It's a good time. Got one last question for you. I am a Bloomington Normal resident, or not resident, but I grew up in Bloomington Normal. And Illinois that was State. ISU. The Redbirds. Yep. Other Redbirds, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have the buses that would go to both Cubs and Cardinals game. That was split right down the middle. That What are the Cubs and Cardinals games like these days? Oh, they're the same. They, they are. And I don't know what it is, though, with the Cardinals at Wrigley Field. It's like they're in the game, and then something crazy or just ridiculous happens, and they're out of it. <laughs> they have, last couple of years, they, they've just, I don't know if it's in their, their heads or what it is, they don't compete as well against them at Wrigley like they do at home at Bush Stadium. The games at home... They're, they're really you know, tough, and, and they've gone the Cardinals' way more times than not. But at Wrigley Field, it has been a, a problem. But I get up to Illinois State. I do the Valley basketball during the winter and right. get up there to, uh, to see uh, Coach Muller. And, oh, and uh, I love that facility, though. Redbird Arena is one of the nicest basketball facilities in the Midwest. I was there when it was Horton Fieldhouse, which was a long, long time ago. Birds flying around. and yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for John, stopping by with well, it's us. Good Always to a see pleasure, you. guys. I wish, I wish we got back up here more often uh, just sitting here looking over this venue. Uh, I love my time coming out to Seattle, and, uh, and I always will. Thanks, Thank guys. Thank good to have you. Fantastic. Mike Schilt, Cardinals manager, talking about Marco Gonzalez. You have a tremendous connection with one of our favorites, and he's become a fan favorite here in the Northwest as well. Gonzaga's own, now the Mariners' own, Marco Gonzalez. You were his skipper in AAA ball in Memphis. When you think of Marco Gonzalez, what do you think of? 
I actually had him in Double A and Triple A. Okay. Yeah, and um, got to tell Marco he was going to the big leagues when we were together in Double A. Um, just a pro's pro, you know. Just um, you know, his dad. I don't know if he's still, but was in the Rocky organization. Um, so he came from a, a professional baseball background, and just you know, he was a high pick and, and came in and got to Double A quickly and and just very mature and um, just a together young man. You know, you appreciate you talk to him and um, the way he went about his habits. Just and he went up and pitched for us and. I believe 13 in the playoffs, 13 or 14, and, and did a nice job of coming out of the bullpen for us and at the big league level, and you know just a just a first class professional young man. Do you remember anything in particular about when you told Marco that he was going to the major leagues? Yeah, I mean it was in Double A, so um, we uh, you know you don't don't have a lot of guys that go from Double A to the big yeah. leagues, but um, we have you know had some you know when I was managing Double A some really talented guys, Carlos Martinez, I told. Mm-hmm. From Double A, Trevor Rosenthal from Double A. So I got the call from John Mazalak at the time, our general manager, and said, you know, we'd like to bring Marco up. What do you think? And told him, you know, look, he won't scare. He'll pitch. He'll compete. Um, and ironically, it was for a start in Colorado. Um, and uh, and so he said, all right, let's go. And uh, so I get Marco. I say, hey, you're going up. And he goes, right, Triple A, you know. <laughs> like, no, big man, <laughs> you're going to the big leagues. And um, – he um, and I'm not a big prankster, you know. I have fun with the guys, but I'm not would never have that kind of cruel joke. But it took a while to sink in for him. We've been amazed with Marco by how jovial he is when it's not his day to pitch, and how charismatic he is. Man, when he steps on that mound, he turns into a different cat. I mean, he is as pure of a competitor as we have seen in some time. Is that your impression when you think of Marco Gonzalez as well? Yeah, tenacious competitor, very similar. He uh, mild-mannered, charismatic, all the things you, you said, described. But he gets on the mound. He's a literal bulldog. You know, he gets he gets after it. And he, um, you know, he, he also gets into a, a real zone, so to speak. You know, he's, he, he gets – he's in this – this this mode of competition that's like man and uh you know it's it's uh it's a special trait that you can't really tease you just has okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 